0: Welcome back to the Lawali Life Podcast. I hope you're all doing as well as you can in either self-isolation or isolation with your loved ones. I know it can be taxing, so I'm going to be here to bring you some of the most inspiring people I know and content over the next few weeks to help keep you grounded, stress-free, and inspired and motivated during this very strange time. For those of you that haven't tuned in already, I'm Alice Law, and I'm your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help stress professionals and entrepreneurs to manage, get rid of, and decrease stress whilst improving their personal professional performance. This podcast is based purely around stress and loss, which is pretty apt at this time, and it is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, from top CEOs, neuroscientists, other coaches and practitioners, spiritual thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and more guiding you through the greatest stress and losses they've personally had to overcome, how they did it, and tips on how to get you back through yours. Today, we have the amazing Dr. Erin, live from over in Los Angeles. She is a doctor of divinity, founder and TV host of Good Morning La La Land, founder of Soul Society, she's a new thought minister, a best-selling author and speaker, she was named by Thorbes as one of the 11 most inspirational female entrepreneurs to follow on Instagram and she is just full of so much wisdom, soul and insight, she believes that everyone has a purpose and truth and calling that they're here to bring to the world and it's up to us whether we awaken to it and follow through on that and live our truth and she is committed to helping people to find their truth And at this time, when everything's going on and everything is so uncertain, she is such a calming and incredibly insightful, wise voice of inspiration to listen to. And I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you so much for joining today. We have the amazing Dr. Erin, live from Los Angeles. And it's just such a privilege to be able to talk to you today. You're such an incredible soulpreneur, so to speak, doctor of divinity, which is an amazing thing. I'm going to ask her to explain more about that. And I'm just so grateful to have you on the show. So thank you so much.
1: Mm, It's a pleasure. You know, we've been in each other's lives for a while now, and it's always wonderful to see all of us bloom and up level and anywhere we can support and, you know, help each other. That's what it's all about, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'm just yeah so excited because I think you probably the most sort of spiritually renowned person I will have on the show definitely so far so it's really exciting to get this different angle on stress and loss especially from you and yeah I'm really excited about the conversation so thank you. So first of all Doctor of Divinity I think a lot of people firstly in the UK won't know what that is and I'd love you to sort of explain more about what that is in general and what it means to you.
1: Sure I remember when I first heard the, the term, a doctor of divinity, that you could actually become a doctor of divinity. And I said, I don't know what the hell that is, but I have to do that. <laughs> so, what does that mean exactly? It means I know everything. No, just kidding. Um, what it really means, it is, um, it's a doctor because we heal through revealing the truth. And divinity basically means our connection as our oneness. I think of it oftentimes as like divine, the divine, the vine that goes through everything and how your subconscious mind is connected with universal law and how you are demonstrating and manifesting your life. So it's really helps people release their limited beliefs, reprograms their subconscious mind and helps them align to truth so they can direct energy and have a life that they freaking love.
0: I love that so I mean I know a bit about your story but obviously for listeners how did you come to be on the path of being a doctor of divinity was it so different to what you were doing before
1: well as you know and so many people have heard my story I had a stillborn at 22 and um I actually think it way started way before that I was born kind of a my mom thought I was possessed as a little girl (laughs) (laughs) what's wrong with you? Like, it was like, I, I think it's like, came out like not in the regular mold. I was like, I literally came home from school the first day. I don't remember that. She said, I came home from school the first day. And I was like, how old do you have to be to quit school? Like nothing like in this world. Like I was like, this is all backwards, you guys. It's all backwards. Um, and, uh, but really what happened was I was full term pregnant at the age of 22 and I was in nursing school. And I had read in what to expect when you're expecting that if your baby stops moving inside of you, you should go get it checked out. So I went over to the doctor's. It was like five o'clock in the afternoon. He was gone already. The nurse was there. She took me in and gave me an ultrasound. And right away, we could see there wasn't a heartbeat. So we went over to the hospital and I had to go into labor. I was like, wait, w- what? My baby has died and I have to birth. Convert- I like, can't you just take the baby out, you know? So to go full labor just a, I was just a baby myself, 22 years old, right? And at that point in time, you um, they want you to grieve, you know. So you bathe your dead baby, you take pictures with your dead baby, and you go home without your dead baby. And oh the next morning, yeah, the next morning I was like, cuckoo. So I went back down to the mortician's house. They did get the right pictures with the right clothes with my baby. Like that's how whacked out I was, right? So I walk in the mortician's house and I'm like, hi, I wanted to take some more pictures. And the mortician's like, oh my God, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. You know, but let me get, a, you know, a room set up. You can grieve, you can do whatever you need to do. And he walked me down into this Room in the basement with red drapes and dark, and it was like a scene out of the movie. And I walk in, and he closed the door behind me, and I just had one of those moments. I obviously dropped the bag of clothes, realizing that I'm not going to take pictures of the baby that had been in formaldehyde for 24 hours, you know. And it's just his body, and, and I was just sitting there, just alone, so sad, thinking, if there is a God, how could He be so cruel? And just realized I had a I had an enlightenment moment where I just realized we're not these bodies. You know, and what the hell are we doing here? And all the, the kind of crumbling away of what I thought would always make me happy—a marriage, uh, being a mom—all the identity that we've been so programmed into, and realizing that it's it's transient, that it's going to come and go, and that it's really not the highest, you know, expression of what. I mean, yes, all those things are wonderful, but really, trying to figure out what what our true nature is is the is the core work we really have
0: to do. That's such an interesting, I mean, pivot for you in that moment, because a lot of people obviously would see that as a sort of, why me? You know, how could a God or whoever they believed in do this to me? So how did that change for you, realizing that, you know, we are not our bodies and there's something greater out there? How did that shift happen for you in such an extreme circumstance?
1: I think it's a great question, because I do think that you have a choice. You either meet people that are always like, why me? And, you know, feeling sorry for themselves or, you know, wanting things to be different in the world. And then the shift really in the mind is to recognize and realize, you know, how's it for me? And so for me, it was, it was just, I just, even though I did still feel like a victim, even though I did still feel like a pity party, even though all that, I still knew there was something in me that kind of intuitively knew, like there's something that I need to discover. There's a, there's a truth. There's something, there's a purpose. There's like, I just knew it. Like I, I just knew that there, I would find something one day that would actually solve my suffering. And, and I did, I found truth in universal law and became a spiritual practitioner. And I actually am a science and mind minister and, um, and then became a doctor of divinity.
0: So, oh, science of mind minister as well. Yeah, let's explain that slightly because that's something that's never heard over here and it's amazing.
1: It not Scientology, let's just get it. <laughs> it comes actually from um, the lineage of Phineas Quimby who did mental cure movement over in the UK, basically realized that when you hypnotize people, you're not hypnotizing them. It's actually their consciousness. And in their consciousness, they can break through all kinds of things. It comes from um, the lineage of, of all truth which is you know Socrates method and Greek oracle processes and um and Emerson but basically the bottom line is science of mind means that it's measurable it's measurable to measure how our mind is used and how our thoughts our beliefs become our thoughts our thoughts becomes our feelings and emotions and how our emotions are creating the circumstances of our life that's like the top level the next level is realizing really how your limited beliefs within your soul, actually projecting out, actually like having the circumstances profoundly, um, you know, manifesting them in your life. And we're seeing that through science, through observer effect, through epigenetics now is proving that all memory of all lifetime. So it's really the science that's backing and linking between spirituality and recognizing that we're really saying the same thing as science, which is, you
0: know, kind of new. I love that because I think it's so important for people to you know the spirituality can be seen as such a woo-woo thing and there's so many sort of like different you know of the sex of it and it's just it's interesting I think it's so important to combine logic and spirituality and make it relatable to people especially people who aren't so you know easily on this path so to speak and it's sort of resisting it in a very logical based way to have science on the backing of what you're talking about is such an interesting interesting angle and it's so true yeah we so don't true. want to be woo-woo
1: right <laughs> exactly <laughs> We don't want to be woo woo. We want to actually like. How can we bring it down? And it, it, the thing is, I always tell people, like, apply it. You know, if you if you work, you know, doing reprogramming your subconscious mind, doing your trauma work, doing you know meditating. There is science that's backing these things. And if you apply it, the bottom line is, does your life get better or does it get worse? And if it
0: gets better,
1: <laughs> then you know that it's working. If not, then throw it out the
0: window. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, in terms of trauma, for starters, so how do you define trauma, first of all? It's a great question.
1: Trauma is, um, there's emotional and physical trauma. And trauma basically is uh, an incident that happens that has a high, high state of negative emotions backed with it generally. Emotional trauma is tra- primarily what we work with, but also physical. Um, and what happens is actually to have a trauma stay on your track, meaning... Whether it becomes PTSD or whether it's just something that is um, traumatizing, generally there has to be a command, meaning that it's a negative declaration that happens in the midst of that high negative emotion. So the subconscious mind is programmed and imprinted through vibration, and your vibration is done through your the meaning that you put around. It, right? Something can happen in your life, and you put a positive or negative meaning around it, and you instantly have a positive or negative experience of it so it's just that multiplied exponentially in a traumatic incident it's just that your vibration is so the negative emotions so intense and it's backed by a decision a command of a limiting belief about yourself about others or about life and then that actually imprints into what is called an engram that actually has a neurological imprint that actually it like it tells the body what to do. So when you go back into an environment, you know, that was someplace that was uh, traum- traumatizing, you instantaneously, you know, remember at a subconscious level, it's for survival. So the subconscious mind works for us. It meets our heart. It does mathematical equations. It keeps the pH in our in our blood great. It, it has us, you know, not have to think about every step we take, but it also works against us. It can work against us because if we declare into the subconscious mind to always run every time we get into a relationship <laughs> not going to be so good right <laughs> <not done> that.
0: <laughs> i think that's what's so interesting though isn't it the limiting beliefs that can happen at such a young age then people carry on with their lives don't realize that it's actually now affecting their adult life and have no no reason to understand why because it's in their subconscious and they don't understand why they're now acting the way they are because a very in their minds maybe it can be a very significant event and insignificant sorry or a very significant event like the one you went through but the insignificant ones that can cause trauma on a different level then affect people way down the line and they don't understand that perhaps it really is limiting their beliefs so you don't have to
1: have a stillborn to have (laughs) uh, a it can be literally like that first breakup in junior high. It could be that a friend on the you know, uh, playground is, in elementary school was mean to you and said something to you, really traumatize you. It could be very, it's all, again, it's relative. It is a perspective. And every, I've never met a human being that doesn't have emotional trauma.
0: Yeah. And what would you say is the most common one you see reoccurring in terms of a mindset belief that's always there?
1: There's some core primary ones like I'm not enough, I'm different. Um, I don't trust people. you know it doesn't matter anyway, like it doesn't you know it's never going to go anywhere so it's it's pretty much um there's two spectrums, right? So you're either having beliefs that have you more divided and making you feel more different and um, wrong. and then there's beliefs that are more toward truth, which is you know love and connection and one with everything, right? So it's just the the spectrum between being divine or divided, and that's really limited beliefs just go
0: to the divided side. Yeah. I love that. It's so interesting. I could talk about this for hours with you because <laughs> it's um, amazing. But so say with your trauma, for example, and that obviously I could be wrong, but was the greatest stress or loss you ever went through was losing, having a stillborn, was that the greatest you had to deal with?
1: Um I actually think that there was something greater than that. And it was a, um, a really dysfunctional relationship I had some years back. Um, Because I had such a big identity around um, love. It's a real programming that we have in us that, you know, it's uh, codependency. I would say it's one of the biggest things that I see commonality between the people that I work with. So what happened is I was actually in a relationship with um, a Grammy winning artist that was, was struggling with being a drug addict. And there was some really horrific things that happened. And um, basically, I, I was in love with them at the same time. So I had to let somebody go that I was really in love with, but I had realized that I need to love myself more, right? So I find that we're doing two primary things when we're doing our spiritual awakening. One is we're shifting back to the true identity. So any false beliefs or or false identities, we're, we're really trying to shake the k- chains of realizing that that's not the truth of who you are. Coming back to the I am identity, the all-powerful, all-knowing, you know, spiritual being that you are. The second thing that we're doing is we're no longer placing power outside of ourselves. So codependency or looking to the world for validation or, you know, just trying to be thin enough or rich enough or whatever it is and coming back and realizing that if we make the source of our happiness outside in the world, we instantaneously make it the source of our suffering. So it's really about coming back into that space where we're untouchable, unstoppable, unshakable, you know, in that place of faith that is, it's really, it has to be the source.
0: I really, I love that you say that. And I think it's so, so important. I actually was thinking about that the other day because as you know, I lost my dad in the summer, and I was like, I'm not going to get into any relationship that's just a bandage on my like process of healing and grief. I was like, I want to get through the worst myself, so that I know because I know I can do it myself, and I'm not dependent on someone else. And to come out, obviously, I still go through my highs and lows, but to come out the worst bit by myself, I found the most empowering thing because it's like what you say is that we have all the resources within ourselves to you know, to end up dealing with it ourselves if we allow that and don't just go out there looking for multiple distractions, which I definitely yeah. did when I was younger. So yeah, it's really, really interesting you say that.
1: Yeah. so it not give you anything, you know, like I, for years was just like, if I wasn't in a relationship, who am I, you know, what is it for? What is this all for? Right. And of course we care about love, but coming from a real, like I'm a whole person, now I get to you know express and be in love instead of having it complete me like you know Jerry Maguire right or same with identity around. I work with a lot. I've worked with a lot of top CEOs and celebrities and things, and and they get to that place where it's like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? Like, am I doing this authentically because it's what I wanted for myself, or is it because I was trying to look like something for the world? And I think it's the shift we call it midlife crisis, you can call it whatever. Trying to find your purpose and calling. You know, sometimes people are trying to find their purpose and calling not because they have a genuine, authentic purpose in calling, because they're so feeling like if they're so empty, and they feel like it's like going to be a drug that's going to fulfill their life, you know, and it can't until you truly understand and can love yourself, regardless of the outcome of your status of your personal professional
0: life. So would you say then, okay, loving yourself, would you say that's one of the greatest parts of spirituality in terms of turning that on yourself and trusting in yourself as well as trusting in something greater and whatever that means to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, the whole world is a reflection of what's going on within. So I think that loving yourself, we have this, we have this idea that that means self-care, that means this, and, that, and that's fine. But I think it's instantaneous. You know, when you learn, I will never forget there was a day years ago. And I remember I was my worst, worst friend, you know, I would beat myself up. I would, Talk terribly to myself within, you know. I would tell myself every time I looked in the mirror, I'd find out what I'd look at what was wrong, you know. I was, it was never enough. And one day I remember just like, I just decided, I was like, I don't care what I do in this lifetime, I am going to become my best friend and love myself no matter what, whether I'm doing good, whether I'm not doing good, whether I eat good that day, whether I don't. And I think there's a concept of, I mean, it really is as cliche as unconditional love. And when you can really love even your crappy days, your dark parts of you, all that, then you can look to the world and begin to see the perfection of, oh, I mean, to love life is to love every drop of it. You. you can't just love parts of life. You know, like, it's not going to work, you know what I mean? Like, same with yourself. Like, I only like this part. I love this part of me, but I hate this other part. Like, it's never it's never going to work because what we resist persists, right? So it's just, you have to love all of it. And in that becomes a new possibility.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so true, all of it together. So for you, after, for example when you came on to like, you had your spiritual awakening and you had this journey, what was the sort of process for you for coming back from being that girl who was crying, looking at, you know, losing her own baby to then being who you are today? I mean, it's amazing um, it was, everything you do. Yeah, have. thank
1: you. Um, It was a long process. It wasn't like, I mean, yes, I had an enlightenment moment in that mortician's room. And yes, I would have, um, I began to meditate. It was years of of doing my spiritual practice and going into meditation and you know um, prayer, which is not traditional prayer. Prayer is like getting my mind right and directing universal law. Um, and we can get into that, but it was a it was a long practice of seeking and going to conferences and reading books and going to every possible. It was an obsession, really and truly. It became a, my obsession because it was kind of like getting. I remember. Going into meditation, and at first it was like torture. I hated meditation. It was like, How do I do this? This is like, I can't quiet my mind for two seconds. Are you kidding? And then I stayed with it. And then I'd go into meditation and I'd kind of have a question about life if somewhere. And when I would finish meditation, I would kind of know the answer. And I was like, Hmm, there's something to this. Like, you know, and so you get a little glimpse of that taste of what's possible and then you keep going back for a little bit more and then you turn on abilities i mean i've i've turned on abilities sometimes way down my you know spiritual practice where i could walk in a room and i could i could read people's mind i could tell what they're thinking about i could tell like and i was like what what do we do what's our what's possible out of all this work and i don't really I don't really care if people turn on their superpowers. Like it doesn't, if you just have a better life, if you just get to the core of your truth and live authentically and find your purpose and calling, I don't get so into that woo-woo stuff of like all the clairvoyancy and all this because you can turn it on and, but each person's different. Some people experience angels, some people experience whatever. um, And I feel like that's up to the individual. I don't really go there in teaching. I teach more about the basics of reprogramming your subconscious mind releasing the commands, getting clear of your core values, getting clear of your purpose and calling, the, the basics.
0: Yeah. And I think those are so, like we said before, like logical based as well as spiritual. And it's really, really good fundamentals for people to have for sure. So with past
1: life regressions, though, that's kind of- a, This is amazing, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to talk to you about that because I, I'm someone who believes in past lives massively. And I think, especially when you have experiences in this lifetime where you meet someone- And you just know you've known them before. It's like that energetic feeling where you just can't explain it. It's like you become friends with someone or you have a relationship with someone and you're like, I met you before, but I don't know where or how logically, but you just know you have. So past lives for you, like what kind of role does that have in your spiritual practice and your teaching and your beliefs?
1: Well, again, science, right? So epigenetics now is proving the memory lives in our DNA. And clearly, I mean, why are you afraid of a snake when you've never been bit by a snake that's like them, right? <laughs> like there's there's memory and there's trauma that lives in each cell. So we have to recognize whether you want to say it's past lives or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is the emotions that are living and and directing and and making you not be able to live your highest expressed life, right? So when we go into subconscious work and we do trauma work, oftentimes, and this has been said in many books, like many lifetimes, many masters, or some famous books around it, that what happens is the memory that lives in the body, sometimes, like say someone has an abandonment issues, doesn't necessarily come from this lifetime it is in your track, it's in your ancestry, it's in your lineage, it's in your body, like you come into this, right? And we could just look around at the world and see our cultural kind of the ways we are versus the next culture. And that is what is playing through the past lives. So what I personally found is when I started doing my past lives, it was, it blew me away, Alice. I was like, what the hell? Because I wasn't a history buff. I wasn't any of these things. And they go into this kind of hypnotic past life, you know, emotional trauma thing. And I would pull up like mental pictures of very specifics, dates, what people were wearing, what happened. And I I would come out and I'd Google it and I'd be like, oh my God, like it was exactly what was happening at that date. And I was thinking, what the F, what are we capable of? You know, the memory lives in us. And, um, but what it means is this, is that it released a lot of the emotions, And the point is to be able to, the the point of subconscious work is you're not going to be some superman or superwoman when you're done your subconscious work, but you're going to come back and you're going to have free will and freedom of choice. And you're not going to be as reactionary. You're not going to be getting upset or triggered as much. So we want to do all that stuff on our DNA and lineage so that we can just be here now and have a free choice to create what we want instead of out of our pain, but in playing into what we want to create in the future
0: yeah yeah I, I think that's great. and it, it's like you say, um with well with um reaching our greatest potential, so even would you say even like past lives, DNA can stop you from reaching your greatest potential, like you said of course. just now? yeah,
1: of course. yeah, I mean, the, there's so many things. plus, even just if you think about like wars that have happened and I mean where you live in Europe, there's been so many wars. so imagine you know the fears that get triggered or even people that have done harm. In their past lives that have fear that if they have a lot of power what would they do with that power a lot of people have fear of, of success more than fear of failure and it's because there's work to be done to clear up your ethical spirit there's ethics of this universe and if you feel like you're afraid of your own powers then of course you're not you're going to try and sabotage them
0: yeah i mean so universe that's such so your ethics and things i'd love to talk to you more about universal law because This, I think, um, on a basic level, a lot of people know about karma. That's the standard thing that everyone knows about, whether you're spiritual or not, whether you learn about stuff or not. And then probably on the cusp of that, more people are starting to hear about, say, the law of attraction. But then there's all these other laws that you are so well-versed in. And I'd love to know from your point of view, what's the most sort of profound is there the most profound one out of them that you see really makes a difference more than anything?
1: Or? Yeah, so universal law is kind of like, imagine that you come down and you, you get a car and you get in your car, but no one ever told you how to use your car. How do you start it? How do you stop it? You don't even know it goes in reverse. You don't know you're supposed to change the oil. Like It's like it, it's like a manual for, for a car. Universal law is like the manual of how we manifest and how we demonstrate. So the universal law basically is um, is the law of cause and effect. And the law of cause and effect is that you get to create in in chaos or in harmony. So you're either creating in flow for the highest good or you're inverting the law and you can create chaos and harmony. So for example, you could use your mind and direct it and see the potential and focus on prosperity and be able to innovate and have abundance. Or you could use it and invert it and feel a fear and find all the reasons why you can't have things and experience scarcity, right? So it's one and the same. It expands or contracts in perspective. And so the law is showing how you are manifesting, demonstrating places how you have a flow and abundance and places in your life where you feel stuck. Or you feel like, you know, it just there's it's blocks all the way. And universal law basically is 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 kind of there's distinctions within it, but basically it's just how you're directing energy. And you're directing it for oneness or division, you're directing it, um, you know, to create or health or dis ease all the above.
0: Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And it's um what would you say then for you has been the sort of greatest Almost, well, not failure, but like what was a failure at the time that was definitely putting you on the right track spiritually. It was almost like a lesson the universe was throwing at you that you needed to deal with.
1: Well, it's funny. I think when you first start, when I first started this work, it was like I would have glimpses of how the hardest things ever went through became, you know, the blessings of my life. And now I I think that that's the beauty of it. When you start really practicing this and living in what we call faith and understanding universal law and understanding all of it, I do not see anything in life that is not for my growth and for my highest good. So we can take a look at it like um, a plant. A plant cannot grow without resistance. You know, it needs, it. like actually when there's weather that comes through or whatever, its roots get deeper or it doesn't have enough water, its roots gets deeper, whatever, and that actually is making it sustain and actually be more powerful and have the potential of really thriving even more. So everything that happens in our life, whether it be a breakup, whether it be, ill health, whether it be, you know, you lose that business, whether it be you lose your father, whatever's there, right? That it's always, always, always for our growth, our evolution, and for us to remember who we are. And none of this stuff out here, we don't get to keep any of this. We don't get to keep this body. I remember a mentor of mine was passing away and um, we had two weeks where he was transitioning, actively choosing to transition. And I remember the most profound thing because he looked me straight in the eyes and he'd say, I'm going to miss you so much, you know, and it was like, he was the most loving person I'd ever met. Was one of my best friends and it was so sad. But what was the most profound is I realized he had to say goodbye to himself in this form. You know, we don't get to keep the specific body or the specific identity and, you know, the rest of it's transient.
0: It is, it's it's amazing, like you say, I think you have these experiences with someone you love that's that's leaving, and then you realize how insignificant so much of the stuff we place value on really is. And although, yeah, it's so important, obviously we need to we need to work, we need to have money, we need to have somewhere to sleep, things to eat, etc. But the value that people place on the material things and being bogged down with these tiny little details, I think. It takes sometimes something really big to shift your perspective, but if you can learn without that big event, it's a, it's a great yeah. thing as well.
1: Which brings us into purpose and calling, because I truly believe that when you do your trauma work, when you shift your suffering into your purpose, then you can play this amazing game of life, but have a deeper purpose and meaning to it. And hopefully leave what you would want if you come back in the next life or for your children or for whatever what do you want to leave behind what are the memories that you want to have that you could take with you and what is the the legacy that you want to leave on this planet and that's that's really what spiritual if there's something's like well why should i do spiritual work you know it's like well if anything you know you will birth be able to birth your true authentic purpose and give you meaning so that you know, because money can come and go, people can come and go, you know, and what are you left with? At least you're doing something that you're truly fulfilled and making a difference on the planet where you want to make it. So that's like worst
0: case scenario. What's the legacy you want to leave behind? The
1: legacy I want to leave behind is primarily for myself, which is to be able to look in the mirror at the end of my life and go, you know what? I love who the hell you are and you did the best you could do. The bigger legacy when I live, I I want to awaken a billion people on this planet. And I truly believe that we can do that through society. We train spiritual leaders and coaches to be able to really teach truth. And it seemed insane to me that first day I came home from school. I'm sure that little girl was realizing something's off. And it really is culturally that we really, if we understood how we work, we understood how we create suffering ourselves we realize how we can actually, you know, thrive with mother nature. And as a culture, that's truth. And that's what is so important to bring to the world.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And so on that note, then what for you would be the most important thing? Someone listening who's just not even like gone into this work yet, but who wants to do something for their soul and then something also for their mind every day, whether it's just a tiny thing to start moving them onto the right direction of self-development.
1: I would say that after it was 22 years in the making that I came up with the framework for Soul Society, E4 Trauma Method and Truth Triangle and stuff based off universal law and metaphysics, but a specific framework around it. For me, trauma works the most. It was the most profound work. Meditation for sure. I mean, no question about it. But even more profound was the trauma work because the incredible breakthroughs and then because what happens in trauma work is the moment you realize that you decided a limited belief that's been playing out like puppet strings in your life, the moment I would spot that, instantaneously, I knew if I could create that limitation, I could also create something that would be profound in my life. So it it was um, just huge transformations, huge awakening through it.
0: Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And like you say as well, meditation is just such an incredible tool for... People, even on a logical basis, it doesn't have to be, as you say, woo-woo. It's very scientifically proven to reduce stress, calm your mind, increase productivity, and your relationship with yourself and others as well. So it's such a great thing to start with as well. Yeah. What is one book that's changed your life for the better, that stood out more than anything? Because I'm sure you've read a lot. I'm pretty sure you've yeah, read yeah. a It's hard to pick. I mean, honestly.
1: I mean, there's one... Well, there's so many. I mean, Science of Mind is a book, but its I actually don't think it's written that well, quite frankly. It was like a bunch of um, uh, lectures that Ernest Holm had um, done, put into a book. I don't think the book itself is, it's a huge book, and it's, you know, um, not well written, quite frankly. But it probably had the most profound effect on me in that it was the basis of a teaching of, of, you know, 50 other books on top of that that were... um, that we're all in in that lineage so
0: maybe it's one for you to rewrite was yeah, yes. the way sure. <laughs> so as well with um I haven't actually asked you this because I think it's it's obviously you're such a spiritual person but spirituality can mean different things to everyone so what does spirituality personally mean to you
1: spirituality if you break it down is that the reality that everything is created from spirit which is consciousness which is Pure potential, which is divine, which is God. You can call it whatever you want. But spiritual, everyone's spiritual. The heroin addict on the street is just as spiritual as the next person. There's no like one person's more spiritual than the other person. Um, One person might be creating more in harmony versus creating more chaos, but it's all for the highest good anyway. So for me, spirituality is who you are. And no one needs to do any of it. I don't think it's your better than or worse than if you do spiritual practices. It's just whether you want to live your truth or not. And and that's each each person's right. I
0: think it's so funny you say that because it's such an ego human based reality, isn't it, to think, oh, that person's a sage and they're way more spiritual, (laughs) you know, evolved than this person and blah blah blah. But it is just all the same. Like you say, we're all the same underneath it all. It's what's so great. Yeah. And
1: if we're already that then it's kind of cool to have a human experience and and feel like you're masters of limitation and just enjoy this crazy ride of feeling like you're the effect of something. You yeah, kind of last for long enjoy it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so true. So actually, on that note of like crazy ride, when people are going through extreme stress, I find you know it's very hard for people and sometimes even myself to trust and surrender in that extremity that, you know, something will work out or that, you know, something else is, you know, helping you. What's your sort of best, um, yeah, best way to advise or what do you do for yourself when you're going through extreme stress?
1: Yeah. So when we're having an upset or extreme stress, there are kind of some things you can do. So number one is to take some deep breaths um, and then uh, get external. So a lot of times it's because you're going so inside. So go out for a walk, go look outside of yourself, literally. Um, and then it's simplifying. So if you're really stressed, you want to start getting everything off your calendar. You want to actually start getting down to just the basics of life, sleeping well, eating well, doing your basic things that you need to do in life, and we, and we do it on a gradient coming back into your life, even cleaning out your house, cleaning out your car, like literally getting rid of everything that no longer serves and that will help your stress come down. And then, so I'll, I'll build, like, just deal with the bills, get it all off, clear off your phone, clear off your computer, like clear everything out and then start again and really get into a gradient to take things back in your life.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think simplifying is such a good, good way to, like you say, we tend to complicate when we're stressed <laughs> overcomplicate when we need to simplify. Yeah. So as well with releasing control with stress, because I find that when people are stressed, they like to try and control the outcome because they're so wanting for something specific to happen. How does spirituality and surrender play into that for you?
1: Sure. So we teach what's called outlining. So we do not outline. Outline means that we can say we want to, we can have a goal or we can have something that we want, a vision that we want to embody in our life and demonstrate but we actually stifle the process of the universe bringing that into our life by controlling each and everything that doesn't mean we don't take inspired action and we don't actually you know we're not just saying like just sit around and and visualize and it's going to show up you could if you have that strong of a consciousness but the point is is that as you try and control it you're actually stopping the flow because how things come into your life we always say you know have a goal that or something greater because the universe might have something even better planned for you. You might have a particular partner that you think, I want this and that and all these features, and they and the universe is like, no, 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 this is gonna be much better for you. They're your best friend and they're funny and they're da-da-da, right? So um it's we don't outline. It's it's against
0: our practice. So with um what's the sort of example you could give for for someone to sort of like practice now if they were like doing this after listening. So they needed to surrender what would be a sort of like statement in their mind to is like so something greater or what yeah, is that?
1: greater. Really so? so if you have a vision, like a vision board or your goals, put that or something greater and know that you're actually gonna hurt if you actually are because what you're doing when you're controlling, if you think about it, you are informing your subconscious mind that you don't believe because you're you're an angst, you're wanting something, which means you don't have something, right? So you're informing your subconscious mind and the universal law has to reflect back whatever you're be leaving what you're being and what you're living and you're being and living someone who's in angst, somebody who's, you know, trying to force things. And it has to reflect that back. It actually has to make things harder for you. So you have to understand that your job is to inform universal law through getting into flow, getting in, great vibration, you know, knowing the truth. We've all been there, right? We know when we're like all trying to make business happen and trying to get the next client, never happens. It's when we go out and we're laughing with our girlfriends, we're going to this event, da, 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 all of a sudden all, you know, all some emails come in, people are in our DMs, da, da, da. And it really does work like that.
0: Yeah. Just uh, letting go. Like you say, attachment. <laughs> Everyone's so hooked into that. It's such a, it's a practice. Everyone needs to keep going. I know I didn't need to do it myself. It's uh continual. So what's your greatest practice every day that you do for sort of raising your energy and keeping you at your best?
1: I do prayer. I don't even know how many times a day, multiple, multiple times. And prayer is not to a man in the sky. Prayer is, um, it's actually directing energy upon universal law for a specific outcome. And so what that means is I get my mind right, okay? So I typically take a few deep breaths and I uh, basically acknowledge the truth of what's going on and I do word, which means I command and demand the universe to know whatever truth. So wherever I'm feeling like there's scarcity, wherever i feel feeling like I'm out of flow, whatever, it's really about knowing the truth. And sometimes it's argumentative. Sometimes it's like, it's like getting to be a lawyer for yourself and rooting for the truth. No, you are good enough for this. It's possible. That's a lie. And we're going to just keep moving forward over here. Right? So it's like, I, I will sometimes like I do it before every single meeting. I do it when I wake up. Uh, if I'm really kind of off, I'll put on music and go along and turn, you know, close the drapes and, and start speaking aloud until I can feel that really great vibe. Like I'm like, okay, I feel the power. I have feel the presence. It's on. I'm clear of what I'm here to do. I know my intention going into this meeting. I know what I'm really, you know, my focus. And that's why we, we teach and have the girls do their life purpose statements so that they have their North Star every day. And when so when I have my life purpose and I know what it is, then before each meeting, I need to remember what that is and have that intention. So when I'm going into the next thing, it's very clear of why. Why am I going to this next meeting? Why am I going to this event? Why am I hanging out with this person? Because it's in alignment with what I truly am committed to in this lifetime. So for me, it's really about prayer every day because it helps me get focused, stay focused, and just weed out the BS.
0: Yeah. I love that. Get rid of the crap. Yep. <laughs> so speaking of intention to finish, what is one intentional mantra that you like to live to try to live into every day that keeps you on track?
1: Uh, I mean, I just like to live, live my truth. I mean, that means, and that is specific for me. So I, I don't use, I use affirmations sometimes. Um, I do have affirmation I put out and just to get my mind right. Um, just live my truth, you know, and I know what my truth is in everything, you know. And for me, it got like, it used to be confusing what I was confused. What is my truth, you know? But once you get true, what you understand your purpose and calling, once you understand what works for you in relationships or doesn't work for you in relationships, once you understand what works for you in your health and wellness, like I get a pinky out and I'm like, no, I don't like it. it doesn't feel good. I know how much sleep I need. I know. Like, and so I can pretend to deny it, but it's like my whole
0: being is like, no girl, you know, you know what you got to do. Come on. You know what's good for you. <laughs> yeah that's great well thank you so much Aaron it's been amazing speaking to you today and it's um sure everyone can learn a lot from you and where can they find you if they want to learn more as well
1: thank you so much on all social media I'm drerin.tv which is d-r-e-r-i-n.tv and then you can check out Society, which is s-o-u-l-c-i-e-t-e and we're the number one spiritual coaching community it's our vision to awaken a billion people globally we train spiritual leaders become the CEO of their personal and professional lives so we've got lots of freebies I've had podcasts as well Society of Dr. Aaron people binge it a lot um, and good morning Lawland we're on hiatus right now so they can just come get some
0: freebies lots of freebies free gifts all over That's great freebies to get <laughs> thank you so much
1: thank you so much
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the Lawali Life podcast today. If you are enjoying the episodes, then please hit download and get them all so I can continue to bring you more amazing inspirational guests from around the world and help you through your own stresses and struggles, especially at this time. Stay tuned.